Assalamu everyone, this is Nada, and welcome to Pass the Mic. I'm stealing this episode from Ali, Anarima, and Diera to talk about Sudan. Maybe you've heard about the uprising, maybe you haven't, but regardless, we were joined by Khadija Mohammed, a daughter of the diaspora and literal queen whose Twitter updates about Sudan went viral, to discuss everything you need to know about Sudan and ways you can help. I guess we should start with like your name and year and where you go to school. Yeah, just an introduction. So my name is Khadija Mohammed. Uh, I'm a student at Wayne State University, uh, pursuing a degree in political science and communication studies. Uh, I'm a spoken word artist, community organizer, and activist. I was born in Sudan, raised in Saudi Arabia, and now I reside in Canton, Michigan. Okay, nice. So I pretty much wanted to just talk about the revolution, especially since there isn't a lot of coverage of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and because there hasn't been that much coverage, I feel like we should start with like just a brief description of the revolution. Like, how did it start? What people should know about the like recent government mm-hmm. crackdowns and just things like that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's quite hard to concise this down to mm-hmm. only like a couple minutes because <sighs> this has been something that's going on for the past 30 years, you mm-hmm. know? So... Uh, before Ahmad al-Bashir, um, the dictator who had held power for 30 years, came in, Sudan was an empire. It was a, a very rich country. Um, their currency weighed more than the American dollar. Uh, we're, we're living real good, you know? <laughs> and then this military coup of Ahmad al-Bashir came in and they stole 30 years from Sudan. Um, you know, the inflation rate increased dramatically throughout these years that he held power. Um, living expenses became so much, you know, people were living in poverty. Um, his regime committed the horrible genocide in Darfur that left 400,000 people dead. Um, so, yeah, Ahmed Bashir held this power, and these protests that we see. Um, that has become the Sudan uprising uh, began in December when protesters took this to the streets peacefully protesting and asked of Omar al-Bashir to step down because at that point bread prices increased so much nobody can afford them anymore uh, the country ran out of gas there was no transportation um, people would stand in lines for three hours to get bread like I said and so they, they just had enough they're like that's it we're gonna take to the streets and it actually started with students college mm-hmm. students and we see it's the youth in the front lines of this so college students you know they noticed like they they came to school and they're like yo like why are the sandwiches so expensive you know we can't afford that anymore so they took to the streets and inspired this this protest so in december these started and um like i said just peacefully protesting and it picked up traction and momentum and before we know it, everybody took to the streets of Khartoum, uh, the capital of Sudan, and they they started a sit-in outside of the military headquarters. Um, and in the beginnings of this uprising, they were met with uh, a lot of violence and live ammunition. You know, the administration used bullets against the protesters, a crime against humanity, you know what I mean? So 
in December time, in that first uprising, uh, 54 people were left dead. Um, and they even like killed a doctor, man. Like he was like helping to aid the wounded and he was shot dead. Um, so then we see that the, these protests and this sit-in continued for the next couple of months until uh, April when we overthrew Omar al-Bashir. He, you know, stepped down and his vice president, uh, Awf, came into power for one day. And we were like, we don't like you either. Swipe left, right? <laughs> so uh, he was only president for one day and the Sudani people outed him. And they were like, we're going to stay here outside of the military headquarters in this sit-in until we get a democratically elected president. Mm -hmm. And so, um, uh, what's his name? Abdel Fattah Burhan. So Abdel Fattah Burhan, he is the uh, lieutenant general of the transitional military council. And so the people, um, they were like, okay, you're okay for right now just because you are with us and we, we, we trust you to a certain extent because he was with the people and he stopped the military from going in and killing even more protesters against the orders of Umar al-Bashir. So the people were like, okay, you're chill for right now. Um, and so it was Burhan in power and, you know, he, he promised that he would just be in power for whatever time period, a very small, short period until we get a democratically elected president. That's what, they all say. That's what they all say. And so Burhan, um, he is good friends with, um, what's his name? Muhammad Hamdan Doglo, uh, who's also known as Hameti. Now, Hameti has his own militia, okay? They're called the Janjaweed. Mm -hmm. And the Janjaweed are the same militia that was responsible for the genocide in Darfur. Okay, and it's headed by Hameti, and him and Burhan have this relationship, right? And so they, the Sudani people were talking and discussing and saying, like, you know, after we get this, this president in, um, we need to, you know, dismantle these militias and the Janjaweed and, and, and the transitional military council. We don't want a military dictatorship no more. That's not what we want. Mm -hmm. And so Burhan and Hameti... Um, kind of felt threatened because they know that there were criminals that are wanted by the international uh, uh, criminal court. They're wanted by the ICC. So they knew like if the Sudanese people got their democracy, um, they will be prosecuted for their crimes against humanity. And so Hemeti was like, I helped y'all out during these protests. How dare y'all kind of turn against me? So he ordered his militia of the Janjaweed, who are literally children of war, their kids, you know what I mean? And so they they use the most brutal tactics to go in and dismantle the sit-in in Khartoum. Um, literally, they came out of nowhere. Nobody saw them coming. It was like, Yajuj and Majuj. And this is just me. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but nobody saw them coming. And they just went in and killed anybody in their path. You know, women, were, women men, and children were raped. Uh, um, people were killed and their bodies were disposed of in the Nile River and they had actually bricks tied to their ankles so that they would sink down to this Nile River so it, like we see that the same Nile River that like pretty much gave birth to the Sudani people ha became a cemetery for the Sudani people and they're still pull pulling up bodies from the Nile River and so 
originally when this this uh, massacre that has become known like as a massacre happened on June 3rd right before Eid yeah it was during Ramadan yeah I it was during Ramadan and like come on during the most holy month and the most holy time period and they do things like that how dare they and they claim to be an Islamic government you know what I mean um so yeah the people originally like the death toll was like a hundred now we see the death toll has increased to 500 you know what i mean and it's continuously increasing because there were so many people who were injured and wounded and they're still pulling up bodies um so this this massacre um is is like that's when the world were like the kids of the diaspora were like that's it like the people need to know what's happening in sudan because the administration cut off the the power, mm-hmm. uh, internet and uh, internet connection from Sudan, so they couldn't even like communicate with the outside world and tell them what's happening, and that's a tactic, you know, of these military dictatorships, uh, so that they continue carrying on with these atrocities. We see that, that the neighboring Arab countries are in support of Burhan and this dictatorship. Uh, we see the intervention of Saudi Arabia, Egypt, unfortunately, yeah. uh, United Arab Emirates. And they benefit from this because, mm. I don't know if you know, but um, you know how like Saudi is reading, uh, leading this war in Yemen right now? And so Saudi doesn't really have a military. Their military is the Janjaweed, who are headed by Burhan. And so he's making hella money off of this war in Yemen. And Saudi Arabia has helped um, his militia in having weaponry and things of that sort. So if if, 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 if Hamati or Burhan are in power, um, this really will provide a gateway for Saudi Arabia into Sudan. And so, um, what was I going to say about Hamati and Burhan? So yeah, like we see that pretty much they played a, a trick on the Sudanese people. And we come to find out that you know, they're just playing a game of musical chairs, you know what I mean? Except the Sudanese people do not have a chair in this game, mm. um, and they don't even know that they're being played. <laughs> mm. So now um, we still are in the period of this internet blackout, and the diaspora has spoken out, alhamdulillah. We've been able to get some type of attention on the situation in Sudan, but still the media was so slow in reacting to it and in speaking out to it. It's just because, you know, it can't be denied that it is because Sudan is an African country and a black country. So we see like, the racism there. We see the, the, the selective empathy from the Arab world as well. Um, but I said it before and I'll say it again, we're going to force the world to pay attention mm-hmm. and they will listen to us now because they have never listened to us before. Okay, so like you mentioned a few times the social media blackout, so what's the significance of that and what does it mean for protesters who are still in Sudan? Yeah, so like I mentioned, Mm -hmm. this blackout is a tactic for silencing the protesters and this revolution because they really thought by turning off the internet from the activists and the protesters on the street they wouldn't be able to communicate to the outside world and they can continue to carry on these these uh, uh, atrocities without being held accountable mm-hmm. but they, they, they were wrong because I told you it's like the people in the diaspora they're like okay we're gonna speak up for what's happening in our country mm-hmm. And we're going to be the megaphones for the screams of the Sudanese people. Because if, if nobody from the outside spoke, like nobody would know what's happening mm-hmm. in Sudan right now. And so 
um, this blackout, uh, you would think that the Sudani people would be helpless after that. But they were not. They were like, all right, that's fine. You guys dispersed the sit-in and you turned off the internet from us. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to shut down the whole country. And so right after the massacre of June 3rd, uh, we saw that the Sudani people started engaging in civil disobedience by not going to work, not going to school, shutting down the banks. And they did that for three days. And it was actually pretty successful in creating some type of pressure against uh, um, the regime of Burhan as well as the militia of Hameti. Uh, and now that we see by speaking out outside of Sudan, um, it's, it's creating some type of traction mm -hmm. in which we see that now um, there's a suitcase that is being raised um, to the ICC against the uh, June 3rd massacre and, and labeling that as a crime against humanity and trying to press charges against that. Um, and we and, and people are beginning to pay attention mm -hmm. and they're putting the the regime on blast yeah. so as somebody said it they were like you know sudan was able to break the internet without internet so alhamdulillah <laughs> for that alhamdulillah yeah. so i've seen like a lot of people in michigan uh, like around ann arbor especially but also like even some big celebrities like Cardi B posted a picture of the the blue picture and yeah. Demi Lovato changed her profile picture. Mm -hmm. So what's the significance of changing profile pictures to this color of blue and this shade of blue? All right, so this um, shade of blue specifically uh, was inspired by one of the martyrs uh, in this uprising. His name is Mohammed Matar. He's 26 years, was 26 year old engineer, artist and activist. And that was his favorite color. Blue was his favorite color. It was his profile picture on Instagram, on Twitter, and on all his social media. And um, he, he was massacred and uh, he was killed, I mean. And so after that, his family and friends changed their profile pictures uh, to honor him, right? Um, and it started picking up traction. I, um, I remember before that this went viral. I changed my profile picture as well because I saw a couple people on my mm -hmm. timeline uh, making theirs blue and I was like, you know what, let's make everybody do this. So I posted on my story that I just changed my profile picture to blue. I need everybody on my timeline mm -hmm. to change theirs blue. And alhamdulillah, I was shook. I kept reloading my page mm -hmm. and I would see more of my friends, more of my friends changing theirs blue, changing theirs blue. And Rimas, um, the, the girl who posted the, you know, the, the post that went viral, that's my friend as well, right? Mm -hmm. So we were like, all right, bet, let's make this a thing. So when she saw my story, she changed hers blue. Mm -hmm. And then she posted on her page. Everybody just changed yeah. hers blue. And I was personally just shook by this. Because I'm like, you see that it was just a snowball effect. Mm -hmm. I just wanted the people on my timeline to change it. And then it became a whole thing, a whole movement, right? Yeah. And so it's very significant now because not only are we um, uh, doing this in remembrance of Muhammad Matar, but it's also to honor the martyrs of this cause and to um, now be a, a, a way to shed awareness on Sudan mm -hmm. as well as a way to stand in solidarity with Sudan. So the color blue itself, um, it, it, Mohammed Matar himself is just so such a metaphor for this whole movement because he wasn't even in Sudan, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? He lived, um, I feel like it was like Dubai or something, London, mm -hmm. lived in London. 
and he went to Sudan just for these protests because just of the love of country that he mm -hmm. had and if you see on his Twitter some of his last posts were like um, of a chant that the Sudanese people were leading was saying Jain Lan Mot which means we're coming to death you know what I mean and and he like homeboy like he knew that there was a chance of him getting killed and he still went about it and 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 was brave in it and so may Allah really have uh, mercy on him accept him to the highest level of paradise because he inspired a movement mm -hmm. and he would say that on his Instagram he wants to wear, uh, paint the world blue mm -hmm. uh, no paint the sky blue but now we see that he has painted the world blue mm -hmm. um, so blue itself is a symbolism for the Nile River for freedom for Sudan for the sky you know what I mean mm -hmm. there's a lot of, and his name as well Matar means yeah. rain in Arabi and rain is blue and so mm -hmm. he is seriously a, a, a symbol for this movement and uh, but yeah the significant yeah. significance of the blue is just to honor the martyrs and to raise awareness on Sudan yeah inspired by Muhammad Matar yeah so a lot of times in media coverage we see a lot of like like stories and perspectives being ignored. So what do you think like outlets have neglected in reporting this issue in specific? What voices haven't been included? Um, and like, what do you wish people would know that isn't being covered in the media? Hmm. I mean, like this whole situation wasn't being covered uh, on the media until we pressured people to cover it. Mm. Um, but what I want people to remember is that this is not a trend. This is not something that will just die down. This is real. It's a real revolution. People are dying. And, and the, the genocide in Darfur um, wasn't just something that was in the early 2000s. It's still ongoing. This genocide is still happening in Darfur. Uh, and we tend to neglect uh, the Darfur uh, genocide, even in Sudan itself. Like we're mm -hmm. focusing on the north. Sudan rather than South Sudan, you know mm. what I mean? Um, so I, like, what'd you say? Like, what do I wish people... Yeah, like, what perspectives do you think aren't being included in, like, in the narrative that's going around about Sudan now? Hmm, that's a hard question. Because, <laughs> yeah, like, I know that? a lot of people see the, saw that image during the initial revolution of that woman, mm -hmm. um, which brought a lot of attention to, like, women in the revolution. But, right. like, are there other, like like student perspectives or yeah, like... Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, like this mm. revolution was started by college students, you yeah. know what I mean? And so majority of Sudan's population is youth, mm. actually. So um, I think that's something that, that should be highlighted is that it's the students that are leading this revolution. And the sad reality here mm. is is that image of uh, the woman wearing the white toe mm -hmm. and standing on a car and preaching to the people and chanting that only sold to western media because it was like you know feminism and, and woman empowerment but it's so sad like that you know it's, it's that was the only reason like mm -hmm. this like people it started paying attention. a woman for it just took yeah. like an image you guys didn't care when we've been telling y'all like people are dying children are getting raped mm -hmm. you know what i mean like it, it, it in the age of social media and and all of that like people just pay attention to the most minuscule things they don't care about human lives yeah. you know what i mean so i need like i said people to know that this is not just a social media, 
something that's trendy to mm -hmm. do right now um changing your profile picture you know in the beginning people were like that's so stupid you know what's changing your uh, profile picture blue gonna do now but it's raising awareness and this and what i'm seeing is actually like oh man this got me so mad this is a side <laughs> note it got me so mad i started seeing like for example, like Libyans and Saudi Arabia, so like change, Saudi Arabia, so like change your profile picture green for Saudi Arabia, and the Libyans were like change it like it was like a yellowish color for Libya, and then the Yemenis are like change it red for Yemen. I was like, yeah, one hundred percent, I understand that these causes all matter, yeah, but they're trying to all life matter our cause right now. You yeah, see this? it's like when we said Black Lives Matter, they're like, no all lives matter and so i'm like no 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 no. the same people who are downplaying the blue profile picture are now changing theirs to these different colors because yeah. they saw that it worked and it made the people pay attention like trying to make a competition out of human it's suffering not, it's not an oppression olympics it mm -hmm. really isn't we're not saying that yemen doesn't matter we're not saying that china doesn't matter we're not saying that muscle doesn't matter but what we're saying right now is we're talking about sudan and that's what people need to pay attention to. And it's it's so sad, like, seeing, like, Muslims, my own people, my own timeline doing this. And I'm just like, no, like, focus on this cause right now. And like I said, it cannot be ignored and denied that people are only doing this because it's an African country. And it's a black country and the world is not used to hearing from anything that looks like Sudan, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because a lot of people don't even know that Africa is a continent made up of 54 countries, <laughs> each with their own unique and different things happening and, and own cultures and all of that. And so it's, 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 it's not normal that people are seeing this on the media and that's why mm -hmm. like people are jumping in uh, and trying to like, kind of like appropriate this movement mm -hmm. and make it their own and take momentum from ours. Yeah. I mean, that being said, there are, like, a lot of commonalities with these sorts of movements. So, like, like the, use, the role of women in protests and, like, military force and brutality. Yeah. So, like, what do you think the revolution in Sudan says about global oppression in general? Like, what mm. can we learn from what's happening here and what can we apply from what we know from other uprisings and revolutions? Yeah, so, I mean, the commonality here, like, it's dictatorships, you mm. know what I mean? And, and that's something, like, just... This morning, I saw something on Zimbabwe, and they, they the regime is also shutting off the internet from people and killing people and protesters as well. So we see that this is not something that's just unique to Sudan. Unfortunately, a lot of the countries um, in, in the Middle East and North Africa and Africa as a whole, um, they're going through the same thing. So what I want people to learn from what's happening in Sudan is that you know, the people, the power is in the people, for real. Like, I don't want Sudan to be like the countries that failed in the Arab Spring. We saw the, the mistakes that they did, mm -hmm. and we're not trying to repeat them. So I think if for any country that's now going through a revolution, an uprising, it's so important to have a plan set in place. That's the thing. A revolution without a plan is chaos, mm -hmm. right? So... Um, it's important that these countries who are following in the footsteps of Sudan um, make sure that they're going in knowing that this is not going to be an easy thing. It's not going to be an easy feat. And that they need a plan set in place so that they don't fall and succumb to another dictatorship and be tricked, right? Like so the Sudanese people have been tricked right now. 
Um, so, but it's what's happening in Sudan is really, I think, inspiring people, neighboring countries. We see the uprising in Algeria as well now taking place. Um, so I think it's it's good that it's really pushing people to say we the people are stronger than these oppressive regimes and uh, us united will not be divided and we we're capable of actually doing something and and it's important that to get social media also in uh, um, use social media to to uh, echo those voices because we see that social media is a powerful tool in um, um, fighting these regimes because especially in the case of sudan i know that the sudani government is terrified of the world knowing of their atrocities and and what they're doing to the Sudanese people. So by us exposing them, we're helping to overthrow them. So social media is definitely a powerful tool in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but inshallah, I'm hoping that Sudan becomes an example for countries that these revolutions um, can be successful. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like, what can we do to help from like from here, from where we are, mm-hmm. like? How can we identify verified sources and mm-hmm. outlets to like send aid and things right. like that? I mean, I've been thinking about this lately as well because I'm like, all right, that's cool now that we got the world to pay attention. We've changed our profile pictures blue. Uh, we've shared uh, messages and tweets and Instagram posts. Now what? What are some tangible things that we can do? So, you know, donating mm-hmm. is a good way to do that. There is a trusted um, fundraiser uh, spearheaded by Dr. Bakri Ali on Facebook um, that now it's like more than $300,000 are being donated there. So that is money that goes towards medical aid mm-hmm. uh, in Sudan. Um, I think it's also important that we write to our Congress members and Congress Um, representatives and senators um, to pressure them to kind of um, uh, make a statement Mm -hmm. um, from the perspective of like the United States that we the United States do not uh, stand with what's happening in Sudan. Just a simple statement like that creates pressure. Uh, We also uh, would like to figure out a way to pressure the UN into going into Sudan because the UN we saw has pulled out of Sudan and they're saying that we're not going to intervene in this. So, but I mean for us, me and you, everyday people, you know, living here, we're not physically in Sudan, of course, like it may seem like we can't do much, but we just saw that just from us raising awareness, it's actually doing a lot and us donating and us changing our profile pictures blue, no matter how insignificant we think it is, Mm -hmm. information is power. And we cannot solve something until we recognize that it's a problem in the first place. And I think raising awareness is the first step for that. But definitely donating um, is huge, as well as creating pressure in our own local governments and uh, communities to say something, you know, and to speak up and make a statement. All right. Um, do you have anything else you'd like to add? Anything else I'd like to add? Yanni, what? (laughs) I don't know. I think, honestly, I think you've covered a lot. I just wanted to say, like, thank you for talking to me. I know that, like, a very common sentiment for children of diaspora is, like, a feeling of disconnect Mm. and, like, hopelessness. that's that's true. And I think that you've done a really amazing job of, like, bridging that gap. Like, I've seen your tweets go viral. I've seen, like, the impact you've had by, like, sharing things and keeping the public informed. And, like, mashallah, I think you, like... (laughs) Thank you, but it's, it's really frustrating, you know, being 
a child of immigrants, mm -hmm. uh, a child of the diaspora and having two homes, you know what I mean? Like, it's like I equally care about both, you know, and mm -hmm. it's hard for me to be here in America and see like my fam, all of my families in Sudan, you know, and it's this feeling of guilt, kind mm -hmm. of like I should be in Sudan right now and I should be in the front lines, you know. But the work that the kids in the diaspora are doing is amazing, and alhamdulillah, we see that um, we, we we we're still part of this revolution, even though we're hundreds and thousands of miles away. Mm -hmm. uh, we're capable of really making a change. And it's a beautiful thing to see that, you know, we are literally pants in charge of writing our own history. You and mm -hmm. I uh, are very responsible for yani, directing how the future will go. We have mm -hmm. a say in that. We're living in history right now. And I think that's just a powerful thing that gives me hope. Uh, and it makes me so inspired to continue really speaking up and speaking out. And I want everybody to remember that, you know, if you see an injustice or something happening and the world is silent, that's when your voice really matters because that's when your voice becomes the strongest, you know what I mean? And so I said that in the tweets that I said before and that, that went viral, but like we will be held accountable for our silence, you know what I mean? And it's important for us to not be on the wrong side of history because we often wonder like how did these genocides happen mm -hmm. you know what i mean why how come nobody ever said anything and nobody did it you know did anything with the rwanda genocide with the, the holocaust or whatever but it was people like us who were just like it's not happening to me therefore it's not happening and that's where we start we need to stop with the selective empathy and we need to recognize that especially for us uh, immigrants people of color struggle and oppression is the common denominator for both of our equations all of our equations and we're all trying to get to the same answer and that is freedom so when we recognize that when we recognize that we're really stronger together that's when we can actually make positive change and we can do something about the things that are happening and so that we don't want to see another genocide happening in our own lifetimes mm -hmm. so yeah, I mean, that was a rant. No, no, but, you're so well-spoken. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.